Elementary music teacher friend, you love what you do, but you might feel unappreciated and, in fact, unseen some days. You may even feel like you're on a music teacher island and just want to connect with other music teachers who can relate to both your struggles and wins when it comes to teaching elementary music. I get you and understand completely the feelings you're having. That's why each and every week, the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast will provide you with solo and guest episodes that will help you realize you're not alone in your music teaching journey. Throughout each episode, my goal is for you to be able to walk away with actionable steps and ideas to help you feel like you're ready to take on the new week with whatever challenges may be thrown your way. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Peresta, and I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're at home, in your car, in the shower, or wherever else you're listening, grab your cup of coffee or whatever other beverage is nearby and listen in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Hey, music teacher friend, I am so excited to talk to you today about the third annual Reflect and Renew Challenge just for music teachers. Maybe you've been feeling the overwhelm for real this year. Let's be honest, that is putting it lightly. It has been tough. Then I would love for you to join me at this free challenge where you are going to get to set goals to help spur you forward into the rest of the school year. It's all happening at the end of December, and I'll tell you in a minute how you can join us. But day one is the mid-year reflection. You're gonna think back over the last few months of the school year and identify the highs and the lows. You're also going to think about what's worked for your particular teaching situation and what maybe you need to revamp a little bit moving forward. Day two, we're going to look ahead looking ahead towards the rest of the school year and focusing on what needs to get done to make it successful. During the school year, things have been turned upside down. Of course, we know that. So we're going to look ahead in order to help you renew your focus and face your your new way of teaching in order to give you that spur of confidence and to help you beat that overwhelm moving forward. And day three is all about goal setting. You're going to set some goals and write out action steps to help you meet them. The main goal, of course, is to teach music to your students while helping them be their most creative selves. But you're going to create goals to help you beat the burnout and to help apply these goals to your particular teaching situation because as we know, every single music teacher is in a different teaching situation and at different schools. So during this challenge, you're going to get to watch short yet actionable videos, receive encouragement to spur you forward, and we'll get action steps to apply to your actual teaching situation. It's all going down December 28th through 30th, and it's going to be awesome. To sign up, simply go to subscribepage.com forward slash reflect and renew or simply click on the link in the show notes. All right, let's continue on with today's episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to have Angela Ammerman on the podcast today. She is so awesome. And we met, we were talking about that. Where did we meet? I think it was on Clubhouse. And ironically, neither of us are on there very much anymore. But 
oh my word, I knew when I met her, I had to have her on the podcast because she's awesome and works with music educators as her career. And we're going to talk about working with English language learners in the music room today, which I'm so excited about. So Angela, before we start talking about your topic today, I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners so they can get to know you a little bit better. Awesome. It's so good to be here. I'm really excited. Um, So I am currently mostly a stay-at-home mom to my little 16-month-old, David Michael, who just started playing the little box violin, and it's the cutest thing ever. Um, And that's like my main job. And um, I, while I had taught for 14 years before this, and I love teaching music more than just about anything, I felt very strongly called to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, I, I, have been really blessed because while being a stay-at-home mom, um, George Mason University has really opened so many doors for me and they have created the most flexible schedule so that not only can I stay at home with my son, but I actually teach virtually for them four days out of the week. And then on Fridays, I go onto campus to teach lab orchestra, uh, I teach oral skills, I supervise student teachers, and then my husband takes care of my son on Friday. So it works out amazingly well, and I'm so grateful for those opportunities. And then I also supervise student teachers for James Madison University. Um, my biggest passion, besides being a mom, is definitely teaching teachers. Uh, it's something that I've, I've loved forever. And actually, I wanted to be a teacher since I was a little, little, little girl. I used to line up all of my doll babies and teach them to sing. So I've known forever I wanted to be music teacher. And then my very freshman year of college, I met Dr. Renee Boyer, um, who just blew my mind. I'll never forget. She was nothing like what I thought a professor would be. And she was out there just teaching all of these amazing music teachers. And I thought, I want to be her when I grow up. So I spent a lot of my teaching career teaching general music, elementary general music. And then I switched to teaching orchestra by complete like not of my own choice, but it turned out to be wonderful. I absolutely love teaching orchestra. And I found that my general music background um, made me so unique. And um, I ended up winning many teaching awards. And then people were coming to observe me from all over and to see what I was doing, not only with my um, string students, but especially with my English language learner students. Uh, and so after that, I was like, this is, yeah, this is what I want to do. I really do want to be a doctor boy or someday. And I want to teach people how to teach so that I can continue to like continue her legacy and continue to have this exponential impact on music, music educators, but also on the little musicians all over the country and all over the world, really. Um, so I, I took my first job in Tennessee, where I, uh, at the University of Tennessee at Martin, my first mm-hmm. college teaching job. And while I was there, I actually went and started a a string program at this orphanage in Thailand. The kids didn't speak English. They didn't even speak Thai, most of them, because they were from tribal regions. But I was able to continue my work with English language learners with a unique population in Thailand. Um, And that also really informed uh, my practices and helped to shape what I've continued to do um, as I've kind of grown throughout my career. And so now um, I actually have a book coming out. I'm so excited called The Music Teacher's Guide to Engaging English Language Learners. And it's coming out this month. It's coming out in October. So be on the lookout. It will be published by Meredith Music. 
And I have a lineup of just phenomenal authors from all different disciplines, like modern band, improvisation, general music, um, choir, mariachi, everything. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. And all of my experiences have really, I think, led me to that Hope House Children's Home to work with those kids and then to get to share what I learned from them with the world. And so now I, I feel so blessed that I can kind of continue to share how to reach students that many people would be like, we don't even speak the same language. How in the world are we supposed to teach them? So that's kind of my background. And um, I am so grateful to be able to share a little bit of this with your listeners. And I would love if anybody else has like additional suggestions, please let Jessica know and, and please reach out to me because I'm always trying to learn and grow and to do better. So um, I'm excited to be here. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Angela, okay, first of all, I love your story. I don't think I've ever heard it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm blown away. Like, good for you. Um, that's amazing. You're just doing such incredible work. I had a conversation not even a month ago with, we have our monthly membership calls for my Harmony membership. And one of our members was actually talking about this exact conversation. She has her last class of the day is English language learners. Most of them speak Spanish and she's really struggling with teaching them, with reaching them and knowing how to, cause she's, she, that was what she said. She's like, I can, I don't even know how to give instructions because they don't, we don't speak the same language. And so I know just from hearing just that one teacher, but I know this is, this is everywhere. People having those thoughts is how do I work with these learners if we don't speak the same language? So I think that's where I want to start is what strategies or advice do you have for working with these students who don't maybe speak the same language you do. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm so glad that she's talking to you about this because it is, um, first of all, like it's so important for the students to be involved in music. Like I think about all of the refugees that have just started coming over from Afghanistan and, and imagine how displaced literally, but also emotionally they must be right now. And so not only do we as educators need to figure out how to reach them for us, be for our own like you know feelings of goodness and happiness and and um peace but our students need music our students need music music is the one place in the entire school day where they do not have to communicate with words it is the one place where they can make significant contributions without having to open their mouth and speak and so our, our classroom is a safe haven for our students and so we owe it to them all the more to to really start to implement some different strategies i would say the very first uh, most important strategy would be to learn their names. And this seems really simple, but I believe strongly that our name is the most beautiful word in our entire language. And by learning not just their name, but how to pronounce it properly, it is so, so important for that student. And you're not going to get it right the first time. Nobody does. It's that's, that's totally that's that's part of the learning process but you have to ask them oh did i say that right or like how can i do this and actually jessica and i when we first met you did that with me you said my name and you said did i say that right and like that's a moment that's really important and even when an english language learner doesn't know they don't understand did i say that right they know that you've said their name and you ask the question and nine times out of 10, they'll say their name the way they want it to be said. And you may have to ask them multiple times and that's okay. But I encourage you, please, 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 
learn their names. When I was in Thailand, I had, this is crazy. I know this is crazy, but this was so key. I took a picture of every single child and I typed in their name into this little spreadsheet underneath their picture. I, I copied and pasted. This was the very first night I got there. Um, and there were about 46 kids in the um, children's home that I was working with. And there were two um, high school girls, high school age girls that were like staying on this, this like they called it a resort. Anyways, it was kind of like a, it was like a cabin. They were staying at the cabin next door to me. And so they came out and the first night we just practiced and practiced and practiced those names. It was so sweet. Mm -hmm. And I would say the names like Bhattacharya, Bhattacharya. And they would say, no, 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 no. Bhattacharya, Bhattacharya. And they would make me say it properly. And, and finally I would, but I, I actually studied their names. This is so, so important to building that relationship with your students. So learning their names. The second thing, oh, and unit using them often. The second most important thing is just a smile. A smile is the universal welcome you belong here. Like I want you here. So even if smiling is not in your personality, which most of most teachers, it probably is, but please smile at the students often to let them know that like you want them there. You're happy. They're there. And you are happy. They're doing what they do. The third most important thing is modeling. So always have your instrument up with you um, for general music. Always have whatever you're playing with you, having um, the mallets in your hand, demonstrate the right way to do it and then demonstrate the wrong way. So when we want them to do it the right way, we demonstrate it and we nod and we might say, yes, yes. And we walk around the room with our demonstration so that everybody can see. Yes, yes. And then we demonstrate the wrong way and we say, no, no. And we shake our head left to right. No. And so soon our students will understand that yes means yes this is what we do and no means uh it's not quite right by modeling this and by using key words every day in your class very simple keywords your students will gradually start to understand the processes in your class and they'll gain comfort modeling um, is also directly linked to my fourth thing that i'll say today which is visual aids use as many pictures images um, actual props so that you rely less on words and more on the physical being or the visual um, being and then finally talk less there's so much talking we do. And I know we're on a podcast, so we have to talk, but talk less, talk less. And you will be so much happier, not just for your English language learners, but for your all of your students. They're like, hallelujah, we got to play all day. This is great. So I would just say, name, use the names, be positive and smile, model, use visual aids and lessen your talking. <laughs> I love all that so much. You know, I was laughing when you said talk less because it's so true. The old school way of teaching is to stand up there and talk for 30 minutes straight and that you're losing every student in the room because they're just like, oh my gosh, like, can we do anything today? <laughs> so think of yourself more like a facilitator and you think of yourself that way, whether you're speaking with kiddos who speak the same language with you or not, you're going to be able to do more in your music room. All of those points you gave were so good, so good. And I feel like one of the holdups is, and what I've heard from music teachers I work with as well is, but how can I reach my students if we don't speak the same language? And I'm intimidated working with these kids because I know that they know I don't speak the same language as them. So maybe even with your experience, how can teachers move past feeling this way? 
oh my gosh, that's such a, um, a, a big holdup for so many of us. And I remember when I first started doing this, this is awful. This one student, I had a high school beginning orchestra and my guidance counselor was like, hey, we have all these refugees coming in. Can we put them in your beginning orchestra? And I was like, sure, let's do it. So none of them spoke English. I, I eventually had an orchestra where I only had two kids that actually spoke English and they were both kids that were in a different orchestra, a higher level orchestra that wanted to take a second one because they wanted to be music teachers. So they were like double dipping, which was great. Um, and thank goodness they could translate for me every once in a while when I needed to them too, because they, many of them spoke Spanish and English, my, my older students. Um, anyways, this, I was terrified by some of this and I did have one really bad experience. To be honest with you, there was this one day in class where we're all sitting around and this one kid said something under his breath. I didn't know what it was. It was not in English. And he's like this high school kid and he's slouching. And I knew it was mean. I knew it. And I look around and nobody would say a word. And I was like, what just happened? So then I'm like, okay, we're going to keep going. And we kept going throughout our lesson. And finally, at the end, I pulled him aside and I pulled one of my students that speaks you know, Spanish and English. And I said, can you tell me what happened? And she said, he called this girl a fat fish in Spanish. And I was like, are you kidding me? Mm. Um, in front of the whole class. I mean, under his breath, but everyone heard it. And that's, like, it was like a huge insult in his culture, huge insult. And, and Jessica, at that moment, I was like, I'm out of my depth. Like I did not know this happened. I, I didn't know what had just happened. I just, I felt horrible as a teacher. Like I felt like I let my students down. So I, you know, the kids left, and I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So finally, I reached out to these ROTC guys at my school. And I said, I don't know how to reach this kid. But if anybody can, maybe you can. And they were like, oh, we, one of our guys speaks Spanish. Let's bring him down. So this guy comes down the next day in full uniform. And he brings this kid. He calls him. And he's like, one, let's go. And he brings him out in the hallway. And I'm in the hall. And all I hear is him like, da 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 And then I hear 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven. I'm like, what is happening? Jessica, I had no clue what was going on. And I was like, okay, again, I thought to myself, I'm out of my depth. Like I should not be teaching these kids. I don't know their language. I don't know what this guy's saying to him. Like he could say anything. I just know he's saying something about 7-Eleven. <laughs> I'm telling you, I never, ever again had an issue with that kid. Not once. In fact, after that conversation, he was unbelievably respectful to me. Mm. And he actually sent me an Instagram message recently. And it was so well written. I couldn't even believe it telling me how grateful he was to be in my class oh. and that it changed the path for him. And I thought to myself, like, I remember after the 7-Eleven thing, I thought that same thing. I'm, like, I'm out of my depth. This yeah. is insane. What am I doing? But you know, what I realized is that I was out of my depth. I needed help. I cannot reach these students alone. So for all of our teachers that are like, I can't do this. You can't do it alone. Of course you can't. You're not Wonder Woman or Superman. Um, as much as we want to be, the best teachers are always asking for help. So I would say whether you ask for help from another teacher who speaks the language of your students or who's from the same culture, this is a big thing, actually. Bringing in a guest who's from your student's culture, it shows them a few things. It shows them, one, that they belong in your class um, and that two that they can succeed in your class three 
that you respect their culture on a different level, not just like, oh, you're another number in my music classroom, but like, look, I also have other adults that I actually am friends with that are from your culture. Like, I love your culture, I respect it, and I want to show you that. And so I bring guests in. But I would say the most important thing, if you will, if you remember nothing else from this, is to reach out and ask for some help. Your students will appreciate it so much. And then continue to take notes on what you did that worked, what you did that didn't work, um, and find as many resources as you can. It's it's that reaching out for help. We as educators, we do a great job with that most of the time. But I think that sometimes we forget that, you know, this is something that nobody has taught us how to do. No college that I know of has mm -hmm. anything to do with teaching English language learners. Nobody no. knows how to do this. And um, so, you know, you, you really want to acknowledge that like, this is gonna be new, there's gonna be a learning curve, but your students are also feeling the same way. So we wanna make sure that we create this really safe and positive environment for our students so that they can thrive and they can feel comfortable with us and know that they're taken care of when they're with us. Mm -hmm all once again great pieces of advice like i am blown away because i know this is something i don't have experience in i have not taught maybe there was like one or two children in the classes i taught that didn't speak very good english but i know teachers that are at schools where that that is the case like most of their students whatever language it is don't speak the same language they do and i love that you said that you don't have to do it alone you don't have to do it alone. And a lot of times as teachers, we think, I know this is the viewpoint I had, um, is if I ask for help with whatever it is in my classroom, then I'm not gonna be viewed as the expert I should be. And that is so tough. It's so tough, but I, I love to be vulnerable. And Angela, you're the same way because I know that if we're having these certain feelings, or we have felt this way in the past, there's other teachers feeling the same way. So you do not have to do it alone. That goes for anything in your classroom. But if you are feeling stuck and you're just not sure how to move forward with, especially students who don't speak the same language as you, think about how you can get help. Who in your school building maybe, if it is working with kiddos who speak Spanish, who in your school building maybe speaks Spanish or is there a parent maybe you can bring in who might have a musical background or not have a musical background, but that maybe would just love to volunteer in your classroom or whatever it might be. But I love that you said that you don't have to do it alone. And also um, know that you are out of your depth. It's okay to not feel like I got it all together right away and I know exactly what I'm doing. But the fact that you can acknowledge that this is hard, it's hard, but I'm going to figure out ways to move forward. So thank you so much for all that advice. Amazing. So that brings me to my next next question, which is what I just mentioned is I when I taught some English language learners, there was only maybe one or two in some of my classes. It wasn't a whole classroom full. So when there are a few ELL English language learners in a class full of their English speaking peers, what tips do you have for working with them? Oh, this is a beautiful question because, um, you know, one of my favorite things actually is teaching a group of students who don't even speak the same language as each other. Like they don't speak mm -hmm. English and then they don't speak the same language as one another. And I experienced this in Thailand. Most of the students in, in um, at the Hope House in Thailand, they were from the tribal regions in, of Chiang Mai. And so they actually spoke these different tribal dialects. And when they get to Hope House, for whatever reason, um, they they arrive there and the first thing they start to do is teach them Thai because they want to teach them to have a, a, a solid language. But when I arrived in Chiang Mai, you know, the director said, 
they're not even going to be able to communicate with each other a lot of the time. And so music is all the more important because this is such a beautiful way for them to communicate with one another. But I would say one of the first and most important things is to build a sense of social belonging, build a sense of belonging for your students. They need to know that you want them in your classroom, that they belong there, that they matter. And this is done through uh, simple things that we actually do for classroom management and many times. And the first thing is like, as, as we said earlier, getting to know their names, but also this like eye contact thing to let them know that they all have been seen. The second thing I would say, especially when they don't speak the same language, is to do group activities often. The more group activities you can do, the better, because then they can find ways of communicating that don't rely on their language. And actually, when they're in these small groups, then you can easier, more easily walk from group to group and interact with them on a smaller scale, which is really powerful and important. But then also that social interaction and that sense of social belonging, that actually motivates them to be more involved in your class when they feel like they have friends. One of my students, this was amazing, he um, is Vietnamese and he started in uh, Fairfax County in fourth grade. And right when he started, he didn't speak any English. And they were like, you need to be an orchestra. So they put him in orchestra. He didn't know what he was doing. You know, his teacher didn't really know what was going on. But he told me years later, so this was in high school when he was talking to me. He said, you know, every day I sat next to the same person and we played the same music. And he said, he was my best friend. I said, did he speak Vietnamese? And he goes, no. And I was like, so wait, how, how was he your best friend? And he said, every day we sat next to each other and we played the same music. And he was like, and he was my best friend. And it was so cute, Jessica, because it was like, to him, that's all that mattered. Like mm -hmm. to him, that's all he needed to have a best friend. And that moment, I remember tearing up and I'm like, wow, that is powerful. If, if there's no other reason that I teach music, especially to kids that don't speak English, that's it. Mm -hmm. He didn't have another friend in that whole entire school. And I bet the other kid didn't realize what a difference he'd made in that, that child's life. But, you know, sitting next to them every day and having them play the same music together and doing some small group work is just so powerful. Um, one really important thing that I would say also is to seek out translators for logistic issues. I firmly believe and I know that you can teach your students almost everything that they need as a musician as a music educator without the English language. I do. You can teach them by call and response as much as you want, tons and tons of call and response. And then very quick correction, very small, isolated correction. So um, let's say they're doing, I heard, I heard the old man say, John, kanaka, naka, tulale. And when you hear them say, John, it's coming out like, Jean or, or Jan, Jan. Well, this may be a cultural thing. So very quickly, you just stop, isolate that section and say, John, and everybody repeats, John. And you do the same physical motions each time you lift up your hands and then drop them uh, right as you're saying, John. So John, drop your hands and they immediately repeat. As you repeat these same physical motions over and over, they're going to start to understand what you're asking for. And actually naturally, most of them are gonna come in after you give a breath. But like logistically for some of these different issues like concerts and things like that, you also do want a translator. Um, and Google Translate actually is 
pretty amazing. I, I, I just had Google Translate trans, uh, translate something from Thai to English for me, and almost everything was correct. I was oh, blown awesome. away. Yeah, so Google Translate is a huge resource. And then another resource uh, that's so, so important is the ESOL teacher. Whoever, like, there is almost at every school with a, a significant population of ELLs, there's almost always an English as a second language teacher, and that's their thing. So they're they're like actually one of the best resources you can go find. But um, I, I do want you to have confidence that you can do almost everything you need musically without a translator. They just don't mm-hmm. need it. They need to listen orally to what you're singing, what you're playing, and then you need to isolate small things like John, have them repeat it over and over again, smile, yes, yes, bravo. Bravo was mm-hmm. a keyword for me. So when my students do something well, it's a bravo smile. They understand. And actually, they'll start repeating that back to you. Um, so translator as needed, but you probably don't need it much for teaching. I'm, I, I encourage you to like continue to move away from needing your language, your your first language, English, um, and to move toward music lang- the musical language more and more and more. Yeah. And then, of course, ESOL teachers. Yeah. We've talked on this podcast before when it comes to learning with kiddos who maybe are on an IEP or 504 plan to lean on the resource teacher in your school. And so I love that you said that to lean on the ESOL teacher in your school because a lot of times you just forget that. You kind of stay on your own little music teacher island in your little classroom and you don't really communicate with the other teachers in your building. You do with the classroom teachers because you're seeing their students every day. But don't forget about these specialists in your school building who that's what they're there for. And you're not bothering them, asking them a question or how to work with these kids or what do they do. That's what they're they're excited to be there for. They loved to work with this group of kiddos. Um, and so I love that when you said you don't need to speak English in order to teach music, uh, I wrote that down. Oh, I'm going to lose my notes. I'm going to cut this part out. Give me a second. Oh, right here. You can teach everything you need to as a music educator without speaking the English language. I love that you said that because you never really think about that. There's so much in the music classroom, whether you're teaching elementary or secondary, where you are using, like you said, so many hand motions or showing your students how to breathe. I remember my band director in high school doing that. He would, he would breathe for us as we're all taking a breath together. We weren't waiting for him to say, one, two, ready, take a breath. We just watched him take a breath. And so there's so many things. If you sit down to really think about in your lesson structure, how many times are you presenting or teaching music to your kids without even speaking a word? You have a hand drum in your hand and you're hitting a rhythm on it. The kids are watching you hit a hand drum rhythm. They're not watching you say, I'm going to play this and I'm going to count it like this. And then you probably are saying the rhythm syllables. But whether the kiddos speak English or not, they're hearing the same rhythm syllables being counted anyways. So great points. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. That is so helpful. And I know the teachers listening in today that that is so helpful for them to hear because the way you're breaking it down is in a way that makes sense and it is definitely things that are applicable that teachers can implement in their classrooms. So thank you so much for sharing. So Angela, before we go, do you have any other advice about anything we talked about today or maybe something that you haven't shared yet that you would love to share with the music teachers listening? Yes. Okay. I was just thinking about this. I want to encourage all of you to do an experiment and please like let Jessica or let me know how it goes. I want one day when your voice is feeling scratchy or maybe you've got bad allergies or maybe you feel the cold coming on, but it's not there yet. I want you to not talk for a whole day. I want you to just try it. Go one day without speaking 
at all. And, you know, you can have a little sign up that says, um, uh, no voice day today or no speaking day. And I would have those days even before I taught English language learner, because I actually had a teacher who she would get sick a lot and she, her voice, she was a vocalist. So she had to preserve her voice. So you'd come in and she'd have a sign and it said non-speaking day. And we're like, oh, oh, this is exciting. I used to love it. Actually, I thought it was really cool. And it was fascinating because I've always been fascinated by teachers. I just have, but see what happens. You will be shocked. I, in my experience, when I've had my non-speaking days, and the least amount of talking, my behavior issues are the, the lowest. And I know that seems really shocking, but there's something about um, the students knowing that you have, you trust them enough to go without actually using your voice. There's something really powerful about that. that the students are like, oh, oh, this is different. This is exciting. And then, See how much you can do, how much music you can make, how much music you can teach without speaking, and you will be mind blown. And I just want to encourage you, demonstrate, 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 do call and response often, and don't give up. They might not get it at first. Like the first time you say, I heard, I heard the old man say, <gasps> deep breath. They might not all come in on time. You hold your hands up, like stop. And then you just do it again. Or maybe you're playing because it's, you know, maybe it's your non-speaking day or maybe you're even playing a recording and you, you know, uh, so I would encourage you do a non-speaking day and see what happens. I think you'll be absolutely floored. The second thing that I want to encourage you to do is to actually start tracking how much time you talk, how much of that time that you're talking, can you actually eliminate? Like, can you just get rid of, of the talking? How much of it can you, can you leave out? Um, and then the third thing I would just tell you is to be consistent with with the language that you do use. When you're working with English language learners, um, keep it short and sweet, and maybe even have a list of keywords that you know you're going to use over and over again, along with key um, physical motions that you're going to do, because those are going to really help your students. But let them know that you really appreciate having them in your class and that um, you love having them. Music is their safe space, it, it is, and um, they're, they're going to love being in your classroom, I just know it. Hmm. I was thinking back to, I can remember a specific day I lost my voice and it was kind of like I had a non-speaking day by default. <laughs> I thought this is going to be a train wreck. Oh my gosh, we're not going to be able to get anything done. But it was hysterical watching, especially I remember a kindergarten class as you're not able to talk and they're, they're kind of like mimicking back to you as you're doing hand motions. They're eyes are as huge as saucers as they're watching you because they have to watch you. That's the only way to learn that day. But they're just naturally quiet because they're watching you be quiet, but you're not even intentionally doing it. It's just so funny. So I love that I had that experience too, because it makes me think teaching still happens, even if you're not speaking words, for sure. So I love that you said to think back to either a time that that's already happened to you where you were sick and couldn't use your voice a lot or give yourself a day where you're going to try it. I love that advice. So Angela, I know after this episode, teachers are going to want to connect with you and to ask you more questions or maybe just to check out your work. So let everybody know where they can find you online. Absolutely. You can find me at AngelaAmmerman.com. That's, that's my website. But you can also email me at Angela 
at gmail.com. Um, and you can also connect on social media and you can send me a friend request on Facebook. I will approve it. You know, it's all good. Um, or on Instagram, I'm at Angela Ammerman. Um, and then please look for my book. I'm so excited because, you know, one of the things we talked about was like reaching out for help. And with this book, I do, I have, I have these phenomenal experts from all over the country that have um, provided a whole chapter of advice for um, music students. And so I really hope that you guys will check that out and uh, published by Meredith Music. It'll be out this month. Yay. So everybody check out the links in the show notes to find her book and her website and to connect with her on social media. Angela, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've enjoyed this conversation more than you could ever imagine. Thank you. Me too. It's so good to finally like meet you in on Zoom. Well, hey there. Thank you so much for listening into the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. There is an exclusive Facebook group just for listeners of this podcast and any elementary music teacher called the Elementary Music Teacher Community Facebook Group. Come on over and join us there where we have conversations around the podcast episodes and encourage each other each and every week. And also head to my website, thedomesticmusician.com. I have some free resources there that you can download to help you gain traction in your classroom today as well as the blog and the membership site and all kinds of other goodies to help you keep going in your music teaching journey. I cannot wait to keep connecting with you and encouraging you and spurring you on in your journey of teaching elementary music. Hang in there, have an amazing week, and I will see you soon.